it was a holiday in, in Crete. And one of the real bonuses that year <coughs> was the, the high pound. And because sterling was high, you could actually purchase more abroad. And we ate out a lot in restaurants because it was so cheap to do so. And uh, I love Greek food. I, I love food. <laughs> and uh, the food was just absolutely wonderful. But the musical entertainment was uh, not so great. Uh, to be honest, it was, it was pretty naff. That's, that's from the Greek. Uh, no, it's not really. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was tuneless, it was repetitive, and uh, even on one occasion, I, I, I just wish that they put on Macarena or uh, the Spice Girls or something like that. It was, it was that bad. And then, one night, I just can hardly believe my ears, that they put on an English song, and this English song was really a, a breath of fresh air to us. It was a song that most of us would know, it's a song which is an old song with meaningful lyrics. And that song was sung just four months ago to the world following the race-related shooting in a Methodist church in Charleston, South Carolina, United States of America, where nine people lost their lives. And this song came as an impromptu uh, response to the tragedy by none other than President Barack Obama. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet. The sound that saved a wretch like me. I was Clementa Pickney found that grace. Cynthia Hurd found that grace. Susie Jackson found that grace. Ethel Lance found that grace. The Payne Middleton doctor found that grace. Tywanza Sanders found that grace. Daniel L. Simmons Sr. found that grace. Sharonda Coleman Singleton found that grace. Myra Thompson found that grace. Through the example of their lives, they've now passed it on to us. May we find ourselves worthy of that precious and extraordinary gift. As long as our lives endure, may grace now lead them home. May God Amazing Grace, written by an Englishman 
who in the early part of his life was uh, an outspoken atheist, uh, a wayward and rebellious man, someone who um, was also a slave trader. And John Newton worked in the slave trade and he was transporting captured uh, slaves from Africa to, quite ironically, Charleston, South Carolina, USA, exactly where the place, the place where the, the shooting took place. And everything changed for Newton one night uh, during a, a life-threatening storm at sea. He was a sea captain. And just off the Irish coast, off the, the Donegal coast there, in 1748, uh, his ship almost sank. And for the first time in his life, he called out to God. The cargo shifted and stopped up the hole in the ship. And the ship drif drifted to safety. And that was the beginning of a journey that led him to faith. He was ordained as an Anglican priest in 1764 and became the, one of the most important voices in the English abolitionist movement and stood against slavery. In all, he wrote about 280 hymns and probably the most famous of all is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was his own personal story. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. And the truth is that it's not just people on the extremities uh, like John Newton, a slave trader, that need that grace, but we all need God's grace. And over the next few months, up until Christmas, we will be studying together something that I believe is probably the greatest theme in all of Scripture, grace. I am really excited about it. And I think it's going to be a wonderful and thrilling opportunity and journey for us as a church. And I hope that all of us might fall in love with the Lord all over again as we hear this Sunday by Sunday. And I hope and pray that some people will experience God's grace for the very first time over the next couple of months. And today, all I want to do really is... Um, Gently introduce this subject. I probably won't get any further than that in just introducing this subject today. And you might be surprised by this, but Jesus never used the word grace. But Jesus taught it and he lived it like no one else has ever taught it or ever lived it. But what is grace? How are we best to understand grace? And to answer that question, I just want to tell you a story. And for those of you who have been probably 10 years or longer in this church, you might have heard this story before. It's a great story. It's one of my very favorite stories. And it's a story that Philip Yancey tells in his book. And the story was initially reported in an American newspaper, the Boston Globe, in June 1990. And this story gave an account of a rather unusual wedding in Boston in that month. A lady who was accompanied by her fiancé uh, went to the Hyatt Hotel downtown Boston and they ordered a meal there. And they both poured over the menu because they wanted their wedding reception at that hotel. And they decided which china and which silverware. They looked through various flower arrangements, decided what they wanted. They both had very expensive tastes and the bill came to $13,000. Some week, uh, and, and for that, they needed a, a down payment of half the amount there and then. 
Some weeks passed and the, the groom got cold feet. He said to his fiancée, I'm not really sure about getting married. It's a big commitment. Maybe we should wait a little while, see how it goes. His fiancée was absolutely livid at this, and she went back to the Hyatt Hotel to cancel the banquet. The hotel manager was very sympathetic. He told her his own story of a broken relationship. He put his arm around her. But the bad news was that all they could get back from the down payment of $6,500 was 10% of that $650. And he said that you have two options, either forfeit the rest of the money or go ahead with a banquet. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about this, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with a banquet. Not a wedding banquet, but a great big blowout. Because ten years before that she herself had been living in a homeless shelter. She got on her feet, she would got a good job and she would got some money in the bank. And now she had this wild notion of using that money in order to treat the down and outs to bo- in Boston to a night out on the town. And so it was in June 1990 in the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston. She hosted a party the likes of which have never been seen before. And this is wonderful, and just for a moment, catch this. She actually changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. (laughs) She then sent invitations out to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And that warm summer evening, people who were used to eating um, pizza off cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu, Hyatt waiters, who were dressed in tuxedos, served this expensive meal to senior citizens propped up by aluminium zimmer frames and crutches. Bag ladies, vagrants, addicts, took one night from the hard life on the sidewalks and sipped champagne and ate chocolate wedding cake and danced the big band melodies until late into the night. That's a true story. Do you remember the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 22? Jesus told a story of a wedding feast where a king um, uh, prepared a banquet for his son and how he had invited many people and they chose not to come. So an invitation was then sent out further afield to those who did not deserve to come. Go into the street corners, invite to the banquet everyone you find. And that's what his servants did. They went to the street corners to find everybody who might come along. You see, Jesus did not use the word grace. But he certainly taught it, for that is what grace is all about. Grace is all about love being shown to those who do not deserve it. As one Bible scholar said, love that goes upwards is worship. Love that goes outwards is affection. But love that stoops, that's grace. You see, those down and outs in Boston received grace that night. They didn't deserve to receive what they received. It was a freebie. Gratis. No strings attached. And those in Jesus' parable were also standing on the street corners, on the highways and the byways. They didn't deserve to come to faith either. And this is what many people struggle about when it comes to Christianity. You see... Most people are brought up in this world to believe 
There ain't no thing as a free lunch. We hear that being said, don't we? There ain't no thing as a free lunch. And in this world, that might be true. But it is most certainly not true with God. You see, ask some people, and I've done this over the years, actually. Ask them what their favorite Bible verse is. It's lovely to hear Jean's this morning. How those verses have spoken to her. But I've asked some people, and they've said, my favorite Bible verse is, God helps those who help themselves. I've got a slight problem with that. Firstly, there is no such Bible verse. Just one small problem there. And the second problem, it's actually in contradiction. It's against what the Bible does actually teach. Because the Bible teaches that God helps those who cannot help themselves. And that's all of us. We're all in that category. You see, the Bible tells us that we are dead. You know, physically we might be alive, but spiritually we are dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that we have no ability to do anything that can please God or even to get our slates wiped clean. And that is why God sent his one and only son into this world to come, to be our saviour. That's it. He was born of a virgin in an obscure Middle Eastern backwater town called Bethlehem. He lived for about 33 years on earth doing good, healing others, delivering those who were spiritually oppressed, teaching about God's kingdom, raising the dead, himself dying for our sins and rising on the third day as he predicted he would. You see, if we could help ourselves, then the question that we have to answer is why? Would Jesus, the apple of the Father's eye, come into this world to fulfill that mission, which meant that he died upon a cross? You see, the Bible knows nothing at all of do-it-yourself-and-get-the-glory kind of religion. The Apostle Paul helps us no end in understanding this in his letter. He wrote many letters in the New Testament and in his letter to the Romans. Romans is very difficult to understand, actually. It's not an easy, easy letter. But in these few verses, uh, he does throw further light. So let's read them together. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through to 5, and then I'll say a few words of explanation about them. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right in, with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have, heard, they have earned. But people, are counted right, but people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Okay, a little bit complicated. What does this passage say to us? First of all, it tells us that people are normally impressed by human achievement. That is, if you do something great or something sacrificial for others, then people around you, when they get to hear of that, they will applaud you. They will be impressed by your human achievement. They'll give you credit They'll honour your name. They may put a statue of bronze in the town centre or name a school or a street after you. You might have something to boast about, humanly speaking, but not before God. And that's what Paul is saying, not before God. 
because that isn't the way that God works. For God's love is not earned and it's not deserved. It's free. And all we need to do is to receive it. In that passage, Paul continues, and he says that we all look forward to payday. You know, when payday comes around, we receive our pay check. The money that we have rightfully earned, it is our right, you could say that truly. And uh, we have got that pay for the, the work that we have done in the last week or the last month. I've yet to come across anyone who has received this paycheck and bows down and scrapes before his boss and says, thank you, thank you so much for this. This is quite wonderful. I didn't expect this, such an undeserved gift. That would be a sheer nonsense if any boss received that kind of uh, approach. I think you think, what planet is this person on? And the reason for that is that our paycheck isn't a gift. It is something that we've earned. We deserve it. We can cash it, we can spend it, we can invest it, we can give it, we can do what we like with it. But it's not a favor. It's not a gift. It's what we deserve. And you see, many people, you might have come across them. They may be people who work in your office. They may be your neighbors, people in your family, maybe you yourself. But you think of God in a similar way to that. That if you do the right things or live in the right way, then somehow God will give eternal life as a paycheck for all the stuff that you've done for working hard. But you see, that isn't the way that God works. Let me illustrate it to you another way. Imagine you're having an evening meal at a friend's house. And you have a great time. Great friendship. Great food, great wine. You have a marvelous evening together. And then you look at your watch and you notice time's going on a little bit here. I need to ask for my coat. I need to be in work the following morning. And you ask the friend for your coat and they bring your coat and they say, thank you, what a great evening that was. How much do I owe you? I tell you what, if you did that, you probably wouldn't have friends for too long. How much do I owe you? You know, that would be an absolute insult to your friend. Someone who has just graciously provided with a meal and an evening. And you see, that's what many people do when it comes to God. Many people want, in some way, to pay God for that which he is going to give them. And God says, no, it's a gift. Actually, it's quite insulting. Grace is all about God giving us what we could never earn and what we do not deserve. Let me give you another story. A story of the um, author, American pastor, Charles Swindle, or Swindoll, as you, I said, you told me recently, Andy, I should uh, pronounce his name. And um, when he was just 13 years old, he broke into the years of teenage life, the sophisticated ranks, He was rather, on that day, very much on a high, impressed with his newfound freedom and independence. His father didn't think quite the same way as uh, Charles felt about that. His father was down in the garden. He was weeding hard. And he called in to his son, who was lying on the bed, come and give me a hand. And Charles Swindle, as this 13-year-old, refused. 
I'll leave uh, him tell it in his own way. I said something like, No, it's my birthday, remember? My tone was sassy and my deliberate lack of respect was eloquent. I knew better than to disobey my dad, but after all, I was the ripe old age of 13. He set the new 100 metre record that afternoon. He was in the house and all over me like white on rice, spanking me all the way out to the garden. As I recall, I weeded until the moonlight was shining on the pansies. That same night, he took me out to a surprise dinner. He gave me what I deserved earlier. Later, he gave me what I did not deserve. The birthday dinner was grace. He condescended in favour upon this rebellious young man. Swindle or Swindle got what he deserve, uh, deserved and he was punished. That was justice. But then his father treated him with grace. You see, grace is God giving us freely what none of us deserve. And scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if God turned his back on us all, if we were banished from his presence for all of eternity, that would be justice. We couldn't argue back. None of us could complain. We wouldn't have a leg to stand upon. But that is not the case. That God, in the person of Jesus Christ, his son, decided to come to where we are. He decided to stoop that condescending love. We didn't deserve it. Grace is a love that stoops. I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie, um, the, uh, the Last Emperor. Any of you have seen that movie? It's uh, a young child. He's uh, anointed as the last emperor of China. And he lives out his life in just magical luxury with thousands of servants just um, at his command. And his brother asks him, what happened or what happens when you do wrong? And he says, when I do wrong, this young child, when I do wrong, someone else is punished. And to demonstrate that to his brother, he breaks a jar and one of the other servants is beaten. Jesus Christ, he reversed that ancient pattern. Actually, when his servants did wrong, when we did wrong, he himself was punished. We often, though, we have over many years sung a song in this church, my debt he pays and my death he dies that I might live. Some of you, I guess, here this morning, will think that what I am saying is actually rather shocking. It's the very opposite of the way that you've understood things. In fact, you have always understood the Christian faith was all about somehow winning brownie points with God, of doing enough things, of somehow gaining credit with God, of doing your best, of fulfilling a whole load of do's and don'ts, of fulfilling rules and regulations, keeping the rules, that somehow, some way, maybe one day, God would allow you into heaven. Can I say to you with, with love this morning, nothing, nothing is further from the truth than that. Absolutely nothing. 
The good news is this. Maybe you can put up the slide, guys, if you get a chance. The good news of God's grace is probably best summed up by a statement by author Philip Yancey when he says that grace means that there is nothing I can do to cause God to love me more than he does and there is nothing that I can do to cause God to love me any less. That's a wonderful statement. Let's not just pass on too quickly at this point. Let's just look at that statement for a moment. Grace means that there is nothing I can do to cause God to love me more than he does and there is nothing that I can do to cause God to love me any less. Take it in. Because he is just putting it in a very simple form of what the scriptures teach. That is an astonishing statement. And it's a wonderful truth. You see, grace might be free, gratis, no strings attached. But it's also extremely costly. It's free to us. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn God's favor. But it's costly in the sense that it costs the Lord Jesus Christ his life. And there is a proper response to God's grace. Do you know what that is? It's worship. When we understand what God has done for us in Christ, our response is worship. And I'm not necessarily just talking about what we have been doing within the walls of a building here this morning, singing praises and praying to our God. But what I mean by worship is a whole life response. Not just about Sunday mornings, but about Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and all of our lives to respond to His grace. It means that when we truly understand how God loves us so intensely, so passionately, so fervently, so unconditionally, so undeservedly, that we will respond by loving Him back with all that we have. You see, His love, when we truly understand it, will motivate us to live extraordinary lives. I believe that passionately. That when we truly understand God's grace, it, we will be motivated, we will be spurred on, stimulated to live extraordinary lives. You see, God's grace is His gift to us. And there are only two things you can do with a gift. I had a gift here for you this morning. There's only two things you can do with a gift. You can either receive it or you can reject it. You can't earn it. And God's gift to each one of us today is the gift of salvation. It's free. Nothing we can do other than receive it. It's our choice. And it may be this morning that you've come in and I, I, I want to apologize in one sense because I've barely, barely even scratched the surface of the introduction of the next eight or nine weeks. But this is where we are heading. And we're going to unpack and unpick this amazing subject. And this morning, it may be that you're here and you're wondering, what's this all about? I've never heard this before. This doesn't make sense. It's certainly not what I thought of Christianity. It's the very opposite. I thought I had to keep by the rules and do my best in order to somehow win God's approval and one day get into heaven. And this is strange. It's odd to you. I would love you to come and have a chat with me love to sit down over a coffee and just talk some more. 
There's a great course starting this week on Thursday evening. Christianity Explored. To explore this New Testament message of God's grace. To discover it is truly, truly life transforming. It really is. Guys, would you come back, please? Would you stand? We're going to pray and then we are going to sing. Hopefully in a little bit more.